Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're coming to you live this Thursday, January the 12th. It's time to go through some listener email. Our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. And the listener comment line, 618-223-8382. Let's go to Indianapolis, where Jason resides. What was the point of the Protestant Reformation if recent guests on Issues Etc. are going to talk up the work of Pope Benedict and fawn over the areas of agreement between Lutherans and Catholics? We need to be mindful of official Lutheran teaching that the office of the papacy is the Antichrist. Thanks for the feedback. Thanks for listening in Indy, Jason. Well, we should always rejoice in in agreement between Lutherans and, and any other Christians. That that's a good sign when there when there is agreement. So we have to reject the errors and we have to affirm the other things. This is exactly what the Lutheran confessions do. They affirm the right teaching of the church at the time and they reject the errors of the church at the time. And we still do that with respect to other church bodies and especially Roman Catholicism. So uh, yes, Benedict died. The reason we've been covering him is because, number one, we've got some guests that are actual experts in this area who have written at a scholarly level about the the relationship of Benedict and, at, at the time, Joseph Ratzinger to Lutheran theology. And he was, both during his time as archbishop and during his pontificate, he was probably the maybe the only pope in living memory who had actually studied the Lutheran confessions and who had actually interacted with Lutheran theology in a significant way throughout his career. So that's why we're talking about him. I would argue that he is, yes, the office of the papacy is Antichrist. As long as that office continues to maintain its opposition to the doctrine of justification. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Ratzinger, then Benedict, is one of the most significant, probably second only to John Paul II, religious figures in the 20th and 21st centuries. Michael writes, and this is in response to our interview on teaching a Sunday school lesson with Pastor Tom Baker on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Hey guys, I truly love this show. I'm hoping that I misunderstood what your guest said about the parable of the Good Samaritan in the Sunday school lesson. I believe he thought parables were about what Jesus was doing to save us or something along those lines, and that the Good Samaritan was about how we are to live. Again, I'm hoping that I misunderstood the speaker. The entire point of the Good Samaritan is Jesus. If all we get is an exhortation to do good works, then we miss the entire point. Jesus is the Good Samaritan who comes and rescues us when we are half dead in sin and death. Jesus is the despised foreigner who came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus descends to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He is the one who binds us up and pours on oil and wine, anointing us and cleansing our wounds of sin and death. Oil being a picture of holy baptism, wine being a picture of the holy communion, 
Christ places us on his animal and takes us to an inn, the church, to take care of us. Christ leaves us in charge of an innkeeper, a pastor, and promises to return. He pays two denarii, two days of our expenses, and promises to return. It is Christ who died on Good Friday and returned after two days in the resurrection, declaring that he has paid for all things for us. Furthermore, Jesus is the one who is beaten and bloodied and left not just half dead, but truly dead on the cross. He paid the price, suffering death on our behalf, and then elevating us in the resurrection. Jesus' final question was not who was the man's neighbor. Everyone, including those who beat him, including the priest and Levite who left him for dead, the law demands that the man who fell among the robbers would perfectly love those who beat and bloodied him and left him naked and dying in the ditch. The law demands that the man would love the priest and the Levite who ignored him. It is only Jesus who proves to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers. To go and do likewise is to go and receive the service of the Good Samaritan, Jesus Christ. That is to go to the end of the church, where Christ has placed us and receive the Good Samaritan service. To hear his word read and preached, to be baptized once, absolved and fed in the Holy Communion, etc. Yes, there is an aspect of the Christian life in our sanctification where we are called upon to love and serve others as we would love and serve Christ, and even how God uses us in our vocation to love and serve others for him. But that is all secondary to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's okay to talk about that aspect of sanctification, but I don't want to do that at the cost of this beautiful picture of Christ and what he does for us through the cross. Thanks for the great shows, and thanks for listening, Michael. So, first of all, let us I don't think Michael's doing this, but let's be careful, because I was taught in the seminary that in, that in order to interpret the parables, you have to start with this idea that you got to find Jesus in there someplace. It's not a bad approach to the parables, not at all. But can we take a rule like you got to find Jesus in this parable and apply it to every parable, regardless of what the parable has to say? Because Jesus tells a lot of parables, big and small, and some of them may or may not be about, like the parable of the, of the persistent widow. Is, is Jesus in that parable? He certainly authors the parable. He tells the parable, but he's trying simply saying in your prayer, you should be persistent because your heavenly father is no miserly judge unwilling to help you when you ask for help. In the parable, that's what the judge is like. She's seeking justice. She has to be persistent. He gives in. But it's it's a parable told by Christ, but it's not a parable that points directly, perhaps indirectly, but directly to Christ's saving work. Now, there's one example. And one example suffices to invalidate the universal rule that you always have to find Jesus in the parable. Then you begin torturing the text. Well-motivated to try and find Jesus in a parable, but if he's not in there, if Jesus doesn't put himself in the parable, you don't do it either. Right? You, you're not going to be a better exegete than Jesus is. So, I don't think Michael's doing this. But I'm, I'm speaking against this kind of hard and fast rule that the only way to interpret any parable, it doesn't even fit with the historical interpretations of the parables. The only way to interpret any parable is to somehow find Jesus and the cross in there and then work your way out and figure out what everything else is. How does Jesus apply this parable? To the man to whom he directly tells the parable. How does he apply it? He says, who then proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and the guy's not an idiot. He says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And he says, you go do likewise. 
Because the man had asked, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, go show mercy. While it's well-intentioned, I think it's a little bit twisty to say, go do likewise means go and be the man who falls among robbers and then is taken care of by Jesus. Now, Jesus applies this as pure law. Go do likewise. Go show mercy. You want to know who your neighbor is? Go show mercy to everyone you see. That's how Jesus applies the parable, period. Now, do we, reading the parable of the Good Samaritan, see in it all kinds of ways that Christ is shown us? And I think you're quite right in the man who falls among thieves, but most especially in the Good Samaritan. If you had to say, who is Jesus in this parable? It is the Good Samaritan. It is, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, is that the original intent of this parable when Jesus applies it to this particular man at that time? It does not appear to be so. But we can always find more in Christ's abundant word than was meant for one individual at the time. This is why we read the, oh, the rich young man who comes to Jesus and wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And this man goes away sorrowful because Jesus says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And he leaves sad. That guy walked away with nothing but the law. He didn't see the gospel in what Jesus was saying. And we look at that conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler and we say, well, you know, we know, not that guy, but we know that Jesus has kept all of the law. He's the only one in that conversation who can say, I have kept all of these from my youth. The guy's got it all wrong. And we can see it. We can see that application, but the man there doesn't. And I think the same thing is true of the parable of the Good Samaritan. We see Christ in the parable. Jesus has put himself in that parable for us to see, but he does not apply it that way to the man who has no faith. He doesn't. He leaves him with nothing but the law. Go do likewise. Now, I'll give you a gold star for saying, what does it mean for us to go do likewise? It means two things. It means both to go and show mercy. That's the original application. And it also means to find Christ there, find ourselves in that man who Christ cares for and says, it's all to my expense. There's a lot of gospel in that parable. But in its original application to that man, to the lawyer who came to test Jesus, it's just law. I love one of your favorite quotes from one of your former professors, Dr. Jeff Gibbs. You've used this many times. <laughs> you can't force the gospel on a text. The gospel does not trump the text. Right. So that's gospel reductionism. That's taking the text and saying, it's got to be the gospel. I got to somehow turn it into the gospel. No. God's word is both law and gospel. And sometimes a statement that can be spoken as law, you killed the author of life. And the people are indicted by that can also be to those who are listening in like us gospel that the author of life, what? Yes, he certainly was killed. And while we are complicit in that because of our sin, not the way that the people in there in Jerusalem was, were complicit he remains the author of life, and by his death, he gives us life. But the gospel doesn't trump the text. You don't jump over the text or, or crash through the text to get to the gospel. And that is because, and here's the, I'll give you a little theological jargon. 
The reason you don't do that is because in Christian theology, we have a formal principle and a material principle. The formal principle is Scripture, and the material principle is the gospel. When you confuse those two and say, I have to find the gospel in every passage, you have flipped those two, and you have abandoned Scripture. You've said, well, the gospel is going to trump the text, and it never does. God speaks in both law and gospel. When we come back, a little more listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line, that email address, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. listener comment line, 5 Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, the new Concordia Commentary on John 7-2-1250. What makes Christ our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. In a few minutes, Pastor Chris Rosebro joins us. It'll be this week in Pop Christianity. We'll be talking about word faith teacher, really kind of the grandfather of word faith teachers nowadays. Kenneth Copeland, he's getting a pacemaker. Going back to the parable of Good Samaritan, I agree with you. I don't think that's what our listener was suggesting, but sometimes we want to take the rough edges off of old Jesus, don't we? This was a great insight from... The late Dr. Norman Nagel. And he says, we can't take our idea of what something in God's word is supposed to be. There's a German word, Eber Begriff, like a template, and impose it on God's word. Because God's word doesn't fit into our notions of how things should be. And while it's useful to have categories, and we say, well, in most cases, a parable told by Jesus is going to point to his saving works. We always need to qualify it by saying in most cases, because otherwise we're saying Jesus can't tell a parable that doesn't point directly to his saving work. And we put our expectations and Dr. Nagel used to say, we can't take our idea of what a God is and impose it on God because our expectations, it will always end in idolatry. I think the same thing is true when we study God's word. We can't say, well, it's a parable. So it's got to be doing this. We just let the parable speak for itself and see what it does. And it's going to do a number of things. That's what makes Jesus, when people say he was a great teacher, 
they damn him with faint praise. Not only is he much more than a great teacher, he's not just a great teacher. He's a divine teacher. And his word does many more things that can fit into our categories. The categories are useful, very useful, but we can't let the categories dictate what Jesus is saying or how to say it or how it should be applied. Now, this isn't a parable, but if I were writing my own Bible, like Thomas Jefferson did, I would end John 8, the woman caught in adultery. I would leave out Jesus' final words or go and sin no more. We want that particular account. We love it as Lutherans because here is a woman caught in the very act and then Jesus and the thing I like about the account is we do not know what Jesus is doing when he's writing on the ground. John could have said he wrote this and then he wrote that. We are not told what he wrote on the ground. That's the beauty of that account. Does not tell us what Jesus is saying there. And it says one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, all of our accusers kind of said, well, I'm late for dinner. I got to get home and put down their rocks. And then until there are none left. And then Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she says, I, they left. Because he's the only one left with this woman. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. Now, if we were writing the Lutheran version of that Bible or the Lutherism version of that Bible, we'd say, well, first he'd say, go sin no more. And then he'd say, neither do I condemn you. And he'd get law and gospel in the right order. But he doesn't do that. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and don't go back to that again. See, we got to let Jesus speak for himself rather than try and fit him into good and useful categories because he's never going to fit into those good and useful categories. We let him have his say. And if it doesn't fit our categories, maybe our categories, either we need to write a qualification for our categories or we, they might be wrong. But in the case of, say, law and gospel, that is a good, useful category we are not allowed to fault Jesus for violating it. We are not allowed to do that. And so when a preacher preaches that text, he had better include go and sin no more. Because that's the message that, that Jesus has for this woman. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. That should be the message that we speak to every sinner. How about we go to the issues that set our comment line with a Question or comment about your personal Twitter account. This is Jake from Michigan, and my question was for Pastor Wilkin. I was recently on Twitter and noticed Pastor Wilkin has a blue check mark next to his name. And notice that he's subscribed to Twitter Blue. Could Pastor Wilkin please answer why he's paying Elon Musk $8 a month for a blue check mark? Thanks. Well, actually, today it went up to 11 bucks a month. First of all, what, what's Twitter? Twitter is a social platform, a, a microblogging site, that's what they used to call it, that is highly overestimated by the U.S. media. Only about 22% of Americans are on Twitter, and of those 22% of Americans, about 4% of those Americans account for 80% of all tweets. So it's a, kind of a echo chamber for both sides. And yet uh, the media's obsessed, obsessed with it. Obsessed. Um, you know what Twitter's become? Twitter has become the assignment editor it sure in those has. newsrooms. Yes, it has. And so um, it, tends to, it tends to amplify uh, ideas, and some people find that 
a boon to free speech. Elon Musk just bought the thing for $44 billion, and he, he calls himself a free speech absolutist. He's learning as, as CEO of, of Twitter that it is not as easy to have absolute free speech. It's great in theory, but when you try and implement it on a platform that needs to be able to at least respond to things that are harmful or hateful or whatever it may be, you do have to have some rules in place. I think he knew that going in. Yes, I am willing to pay. What's a blue check? The blue check used to be verified, and it used to basically be a way of keeping fake Twitter accounts from sticking around, okay? So you're saying, like, so you're not a bot or something like that? So you're a real person? Or just, just, a, just a person. Say, let's just take, uh, I'll just take Donald Trump as an example. There are a ton of fake Donald Trump accounts out there or parody accounts. Donald Trump needed a blue check so that people could say, Twitter knows that this is actually Donald J. Trump, and that blue check tells you he's the real deal. It's not somebody acting like him. And it was, I think it's a very good idea. The bar kept on getting raised as more and more celebrities and more and more celebrity journalists got involved with Twitter. So it kind of became a metaphor for lefty Twitter. If you had a blue check, you were probably one of the favored elite of the media. Not always. Molly Hemingway had a blue check. We have a blue check on our account. I don't even know how we got it because I don't think we applied for it. LPR and the word of the Lord endorse forever. Do not just check their Twitter right. accounts. But somehow we got a blue check and, and that's because we're a media outlet and that it also goes to media outlets. So Elon Musk came in and he said, maybe there ought to be another way of getting a blue check if you want one that bad. And so he started or continued something called Twitter blue. And I got it because I wanted to be able to edit my tweets my big criticism of Twitter has always been that if you misspell something, you either have to delete the tweet and retweet it, or you're stuck with that for the rest of your life. So I don't like looking like an idiot. I don't like looking like I didn't proofread my stuff, and I wanted a chance to be able to edit my tweets, and that's what Twitter Blue gave me. And the, the check, anybody can hover over that check and see that Wilkin pays 11 bucks a month for the blue check. It's not a status symbol. It's I wanted to be able to edit and it does give you a certain amount of time to edit your tweets before they become written in stone. And there are other benefits, too. I think he's going to he maybe let blue checks have more space. It used to be 140 characters. They expanded to 240 characters. A lot of people don't find that. And he says he's going to offer to to blue checks. He's going to offer, I think he said, 1,400 character tweets. And then you're not tweeting anymore. That's not a microblogging site anymore. That's a blogging site. I think people, most Americans have too much time on their hands. That's my assessment. Eric says, and this is a response to your comments on the Lutheran Church of Missouri sin, the death penalty and self-defense, use of self-defense. Eric says, I've been a Texan all my life and never heard the term kit up. You had me belly laughing. Now my neighbors are wondering what I'm laughing at as I work in the garage. Thanks for listening in Texas, Eric. I don't think it's a particularly Texas term. It's it's a, I think it might originally be some sort of British military term. They would say kit out. And in, in the American military, to kit up means to put all your equipment on, in particular, your 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 weapons. 
So if you kit up, you've got all your all the stuff you need to go into battle. And I think I said it in the context of just because I can carry a gun legally doesn't mean I have to kit up to go to the grocery store when I'm buying eggs and and bread. So that was the context of that. It's a military term. This is Angie from Logansport, Indiana. And I was calling to request that Pastor Ted Geese review the movie on Netflix, Pinocchio. I would love to have his opinion and all of that information. Thank you so much, guys. You're doing a great job. Thank you very much. So have we scheduled Ted to uh, first watch and then come on and talk to us about the Netflix Pinocchio? I don't think so. I don't think so. Is it a movie or is it a series? So it surprises me. I was thinking about this when, when we were talking about playing this comment. It surprises me lately the attention the media has put on this movie. Disney has recently did a live action of this movie. So, so they've redone this movie, if you want to say it that way. And then Netflix with this, Todd, who's the director of, remember the original Hellboy movies? Uh, Guillermo so, del Toro. Yes. So he directed it. It's a stop action motion so it's it's puppets i guess like claymation maybe but uh, that's what this new one is so it's not live action but it's but it's that director and and i guess this story so i guess that's what the whole thing is about well i, I think we can try and fit it into the schedule and see if we can get pastor geese to watch it and then come on and review it if you're just dealing with box office movies there are, there are a lot of them out there but with all of the streaming options that are out there all of the people that have been making full-length movies or miniseries or series, there's so much more media that we could review. And Ted only has so much time. I think he actually has a day job as a pastor. Yeah, much more important than being a movie reviewer and TV reviewer and issues, et cetera. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I just Google it. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio wins Golden Globe as Netflix becomes first streaming service to win feature animation category. I almost... Are we scheduled to talk to him about the Golden Globes? Because... I think they held it on Tuesday night and no one watched it. So, they said it was the second lowest uh, ratings for the Golden Globes ever. No, nobody is, nobody w was watching it. So I wonder if it's even worth our time to talk about the Golden Globes. But, but we'll try and get to Pinocchio. Thank you very much for the show's suggestion. On the other side, Pastor Chris Rosebro is going to join us. It's This Week in Pop Christianity. Well, Kenneth Copeland, Word Faith teacher, has spent his entire career talking about Christ guarantees you health right now. He's getting a pacemaker. We'll see what Chris has to say next. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter And make believe it came from you Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Job saw the city as a wasteland as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. 
Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamel.org.